The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The sermon text for this morning is from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this passage is a glimpse into the treasure chest of the unsearchable riches that are ours in Christ. So we ask now that by your grace to us in Christ, you would strengthen us, strengthen us, strengthen us to trust all the more in your past work of grace and all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus by giving him up for us all. And strengthen us by your grace to hope in you for all that you are and promise to be for us now and forever through Christ Jesus. Do it for the glory of your name and for the joy of this people and the joy of the world, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this sermon is the second in the series, Strengthened by Grace. And we began last week with a look at Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul said, 
You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what I tried to argue last week is that that command, that way to live that Paul is calling Timothy to is not unique to Timothy's situation or unique to Paul. That's just biblical, basic, New Testament Christianity. That's how we live. We're saved by grace through faith in the death of Christ and all that God has done for us. And we continue to be sanctified by faith in God's grace to us in Christ and all that he's going to do for us in keeping us, preserving us all the way to the end. And he'll pour out his grace on us for ages and ages and ages to come for all eternity. So that's what I tried to say last week. And, and I believe that, that being strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus is the way to be strong people, hopeful people, loving people, happy people, worshiping people, the people that glorify God in everything that we do. So that was last week. And now this week, I want to probe into... What I mean, what the Bible means by grace, at least in, in these two big aspects, because I think they're so important and they have so shaped how I think and live and hope. What I want to do today is show that we as believers live by faith in what God has done for us in Christ, namely that God did not spare his own son for us, but gave him up for us all. And there's a whole list in this passage of all the grace that God has given us in the past, all in and through the work of Christ. And I also want to say that we live by faith, by future faith. Future faith is hope. We live by faith in God's future grace or hope in his grace of what he's going to do based on what he has done. And so just when you have the category of grace in your head, I just think it's so strengthening, so empowering to rest on the grace of God to us that he's given us in the past, all that he's already given us, all that he's shown us in the death of Christ, all that he's done. And bounce out of that in confidence and hope and assurance that he will continue his grace to us now and forever. That's where we're going. So you might say, well, what difference does it make? Well, it has to do with everything we do as Christians in our lives, everything we do as a church. And, and I mentioned this last week that Pastor John's book, Future Grace, was so formative for me in seeing these things in the Bible. And I recommend it. It's in the bookstore. And what he does in that book is kind of lay out the whole biblical case and apply it personally to our lives. And what I want to do in this series is think about how does living as a people strengthened by grace impact us as a church in what we do. And so it'll be an adventure. It's not written yet. I'm going to figure it out as we go. So this should be fun. But today I know what we're going to do. I want to zoom in on Romans 8.32. And what I want you to see is this powerful link between trusting what God has already done for us in sending Christ to die for us and 
expecting, hoping, future faith in what God promises to be and do for us in every aspect of our lives, now and forever. So first of all, let me just underscore that, that this verse, Romans 8.32, is an argument from the greater to the lesser. It's a basic approach. It's a basic uh, way to make an argument. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Simple and yet profound. Most anyone can understand these kind of arguments. So here's how I would say it. I'll say it and then I'll illustrate it. The point of verse 32, which says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The point there, if I were to put it in my own words, I'd say, the point is this, isn't it? Since God has given us his own son, dearly loved and precious for us, we certainly know that God will continue to graciously give us everything. That's the point. So now, for an illustration of this argument from the greater to the lesser, there's several in the Bible. Uh, One scholar said he can spot at least 28 in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. But let me give you two simple ones from the Sermon on the Mount. If you turn to Matthew 6, you'll, you can look at them with me. In Matthew 6, this is the section where, where Jesus has said, do not be anxious about your life. And then he drives the point home with these two arguments from the greater to the lesser. Verse 26, Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So climb into this now, argument from the greater to the lesser. Jesus is saying, see how your heavenly Father looks after birds? They don't plant their own food. They don't provide for their own food. And yet, as unlikely as it seems, your Father in heaven faithfully feeds them. And since he does that for birds, which are a dime a dozen, how much more will he care, will your Father care for you as his child? Provide for your needs. You feel the impact of it? It helps to stress the word father (laughs) cared for birds. He's going to care for his children. Greater to the lesser. Here's another one. Matthew 6, 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one one of these. But... If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
In other words, look, see how your Father in heaven looks after the wild lilies in the field. They don't weave their own clothing, and yet their attire is more splendor, more beautiful than even King Solomon in all his royal robes. As unlikely as it seems, your Father in heaven faithfully clothes the flowers. And since he does that, surely you can know he will take care of your need for clothing. You are his child. You are worth much more to him than birds and flowers. There's the argument. Trust him. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. There's Jesus using the argument from the greater to the lesser, calling us to trust God and not be anxious. So now back to Romans 8.32. See it here now. Here's, here's the argument from the greater to the lesser, the first clause is the greater. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, think about this. The the impulse to protect our own children is natural. It's inborn. It's human love. I don't want my children to suffer. I would rather I die than my children die. Much less to willfully hand over my son or daughter to suffer and die? Most unlikely. But this is the greater thing. God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all to redeem us. The father did not spare his own son. The, the beatings and the mockery and the, the sp- being spit on and the floggings till he was bloody and the nailing him to the cross and then the propping him up in the air. He did not spare him all that suffering. And he gave him over to death for us. This, this is the greater. God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. This is not news in the Bible. Some people misunderstand this, but God gave up his son for us. Peter said it at Pentecost that this Jesus was delivered over to sinful men According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, the prophet Isaiah foretold it. He was smitten by God and afflicted. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, yet he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Jesus himself knew it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. And Jesus said, 
Remember when his disciples were fighting about who's the greatest, like who's going to get served? He said, no, no. I'm among you as one who serves. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus even said, look, I lay my life down of my own accord. God has given me the authority to do this. I lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So so this, this is the greater thing. God the Father did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all according to plan. And and in that laying down of of his life for us, Jesus accomplished all these graces that are, well, that are ours in the Bible, but let me just focus on all these graces that are ours in, in Romans 8, the ones that we just read. This treasure trove, this riches by the death of Christ. All these things are coming our way, foreknown before the foundation of the world, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, savingly called by, by the gospel to believe. We're justified and declared guiltless, forgiven from all of our sins. We are glorified now and will be glorified forever as God works his sanctifying work in us now We are set apart and we're being made holy. All these graces are ours now. Because God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God did not spare his own son, but delivered him over to death in order to deliver us from death, from eternal death, and to give us the greatest treasure in the universe, namely, himself. That's the greater. Well, with that as the greater, what's the lesser? The rest of verse 32. Maybe I should read the whole thing. God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See the lesser thing? Is what... The lesser thing is that God's going to give us everything. (laughs) Right? That's the lesser thing. Oh, just everything. (laughs) Oh, everything. Wow. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, if we just move around the passage that we read in Romans 8, let's spot some of the all things Paul has in mind. Romans 8, 28. Some of the all things are included here that God is working in every event, in every situation, in every circumstance, all those things, whether they look good or evil, together for our good. 28. What about verse 31? Because God gave his son to die for us, it also means that God is unwaveringly for us and not against us. And those who are against us to do us harm unwittingly do us good by God's sovereign and gracious hand. What about verse 33? 
Because God gave his son to die for us, it means that no one can damn us, condemn us. Because we've been justified. We've been forgiven by the death of Christ now and forever. Not even Satan can damn us. In verse 34, because Christ died for us, he now intercedes for us, pleading his blood on our behalf for our continuance in the faith and perseverance and continued mercy and sanctifying graces in order to be glorified in the end. Christ is praying for us now. And Paul presses the point home in verse 35 saying that that God will graciously give us all things is true in the most awful, terrible sufferings of this world. I'm going to read this. Romans 8, 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You graciously give us all things. So because God gave his son to die for us, it also means that even in the worst circumstances of persecution, like people are experiencing right now in various places throughout the world, God cannot be hindered from giving all his people all things for their good. Do you pay attention? <laughs> do you pay attention to the persecuted church worldwide? I hope you do. It's, it's good for your soul to pray for them, and it's good for your soul to be strengthened by their testimony of the faithfulness of God's goodness in the most horrific suffering that you can imagine. You sign up. Voice of the Martyrs, I'm going to quote from, from Open Doors. Every January, Open Doors publishes an annual world watch list documenting worldwide persecution of Christians. And the report from, for 2022 says this, that across 76 countries, more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith, an increase of 20 million over 2021. 
The country with the 10th highest number of persecutions is India. I'm going to go from 10, 9, 8, 7, 10 on up. India's number 10. Number 9 is Iran. Then Pakistan, Nigeria, Eritrea, Yemen, Libya, Somalia. And then North Korea, which has slipped from number 1 down to number 2, even though persecution there has been increasing. From the report regarding North Korea, if Christians are discovered, they and their families are deported to labor camps as political criminals or killed on the spot. Gathering with other Christians, therefore, is almost impossible and must only be attempted in utmost secrecy. What's the number one country for Christian persecution? Some of you know it. Afghanistan. The report said, those whose names are known to the Taliban are being hunted down. If Afghani men are discovered to have a Christian faith, they are executed. If women are discovered, they may escape execution but face a life of slavery or imprisonment. God gave his son to die for us and therefore we can count on him to give us all things good even in the worst horrific situations of persecution and suffering that we can imagine here in this life. And, you know, as I say that, it feels like an argument from the greater to the lesser again, even though it's not stated here. Here's why I think Paul went there. Not only because that was going on and he's about to be executed, but also it's like, if God takes care of us when we are like sheep to be slaughtered, surely he will take care of you when you go home this afternoon and work out your conflict with your wife or your family or where you go to work tomorrow where the winds of culture are blowing every which way. He, surely he will be with you and do you good. Of course he will. Let me close with a couple thoughts. At the broadest level, every promise of God to do good to us, to, to be good to us in his grace and to do good for us that's in the Bible are ours by the death of Christ. They're ours. That's why every promise of God is yes in Christ Jesus. God will never turn away from doing us good according to the, the, to the new covenant. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all will also along with, his, with him freely, graciously give us all things. A couple of thoughts I had to close with. I mean, I hope we're thinking about being strengthened by grace. Think of grace in these two categories. You know, when you, I mean, somebody might say, you know, don't you Christians get tired of talking about the death of Christ? 
You know, you sing these songs. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? You sing these songs. You do the Lord's table. You know that. Why do you keep saying that? (laughs) Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here's the deal. We, we rehearse, we remember the death of Christ for us. That God didn't spare him, but gave him up for us. And we put our faith in him there. We bank on it. And we're assured of his love. We're assured of his favor. We're assured of his justification, forgiveness, sanctifying. We're, we're assured of the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're assured of all his past grace. <laughs> Why would we not remember the death of Christ for us, and praise God week in and week out as we gather here and, and as we read our Bibles at home and as we meet in small groups. Why would we not praise God for this massive commitment of his grace to us in and through the death of Christ? But don't let it stop there. The Bible doesn't stop there. The songs don't stop there. And we ought not stop there. Assured of the love of God for us in the death of Christ. He gave him up for us. He demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Banking on that, here it is now. Live as a people being strengthened by God's grace to trust him for his future grace, to hope in him today, to give us all things, to work all things for your good, to even the hardest things, and to preserve us and continue to keep us all the way to the end, and to give us grace and strength to do the hard things, to, to love people that are hard to love, to, to speak for him when it's difficult. Grace even to, even to die in some of the painful and difficult ways we've seen people die here through the years. Count on him. Rely on his past grace and favor established by the death of Christ for us and established there, count on his continuing grace and favor for today, to strengthen you for life today and forever. Here's one more thought. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus now before opposition rises more and turns into persecution here. Opposition, ridicule, persecution. The time is coming and has already come where those are on the rise for Christians when expressing basic Christian historic doctrines that go against the fad 
of current culture will get you fined and fired and maligned and ridiculed and taken to court and arrested and who knows what else. The time is coming and has come. In the United States of America, people will oppose you for saying basic, biblical, historic, doctrinal things, such as, I believe God created human beings in his image. Male and female, he created them two genders, both in the image of God. Or, I believe God gave human beings from the beginning the institution of marriage between one man and one woman to model the loving relationship between Christ and his church. And if God enables to have children, or I believe that God prohibits the murder of any human being because God has created all human beings in his image, no matter how old or how young, no matter how large or how small, no matter if they're in the womb or out of the womb, regardless of race, ethnicity, or nationality, the murder of a human being is a great sin against God. Believing those things, saying those things, will get you persecuted today. It's amazing. So where does that leave us? It leaves us relying on God's grace, does it not? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, everything that we need for life in these United States at such a time as this? Father in heaven, thanks for your word. Thanks for this beautiful argument from the greater to the lesser. Oh, how much grace it describes to us. Oh, how much of the fullness of your love. Oh, how much of the hope we have is captured here. I pray that you would empower us, strengthen us by your grace now. Anchor us in the death of Christ and fill us with hope for all that you are and promise to do for us in goodness now and forever. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.